coming up on The Modern Hotelier. The big news, and you're the first people to hear this, is we've had a real breakthrough in innovation that's going to speed this up. Anybody who has a 3D photograph of their space, on December the 1st, they can upload it to Rendezvous and they can meet someone in there with their avatar and show them around them with present, which will change the way the meeting industry works. Hello and welcome to The Modern Hotel. You're presented by Stay Flexi, your all-in-one modern operating system for independent hotels. Each episode, we'll get to know an industry expert and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you the Modern Hotelier. Welcome to The Modern Hotelier presented by Stay Flexi. I'm your host, David Malilli. And I'm Steve Karen. Steve, who do we have on the program today? Yeah, David, today we have on Peter Gould. Peter has over 25 years of experience in the hotel, travel, and event space. In the hotel and travel space, Peter has been the CEO of the Great Hotels of the World and the chairman of the White Label Travel. In media and event space, he's been the CEO of Big Agency, chairman for Creative Media Finance, and the executive chairman at Worldwide Events. Now Peter is the CEO of Rendezvous. Hey, welcome to the show, Peter. We're happy to have you. Happy to be there. Gosh, you're reading out my life story there. That went back <laughs> further than I can remember. <laughs> that was the goal. That was the goal. <laughs> so, Peter, we're going to go through three areas. Uh, That's the way the program works. We're going to get to know you a little bit better. We're going to talk about your career, and then we're going to get into some industry topics. So with that, we're going to get started. I'm going to ask you a series of quick questions. So what was your first job? First job was selling advertising for a campaign magazine in London, which is an advertising agency rag. Who did you admire growing up? Bobby Moore, who was an English football player who won the World Cup. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The only thing worse than a bad plan is sticking to it. Name a person you'd like to switch places with for a day. Gosh, whoever's married to Kira Knightley. I've forgotten his name. <laughs> What's a secret talent that you have that most people don't know you have? I can juggle and really well. What's the most unique place you've ever visited? Gosh, I'm, I'm a real traveler coming from the industry. I would say Namibia, the Namib Desert, the Granddaddy Sand Dune, and Ayatosh, I think it's called, where all the, the land is dead and the trees are dead. It's so eerie. What's on your bucket list? Well, interestingly, I've done all the seven wonders of the world, the man-made ones, and six of the natural ones. So I've only got one seven wonder of the world left to do, which is the Northern Lights. And I hate the cold if I'm not skiing, which is the only reason I've not done it. But you know what? I have to do the Northern Lights. So that will be the only thing left. So I've done all the wonders of the world. Great. What scares you? Failure. What's something that you wish you were better at? Golf. If you could have one superpower, what superpower would you like to have? I'd like to be able to fly. Awesome. Well, beautiful. That that was a good lightning round. I think that's the quickest answers we have had yet. That was awesome. So, Peter, now we'll get to learn a little bit more about you, kind of where you're from, what makes you tick. So, where were you born and where did you grow up? Born and grew up in London. How did that shape you into, into who you are today? It's interesting because I've thought about it a lot because I stayed, apart from going to university, I stayed in London till for 50 years. And it's only when you leave London, you realize that a bit like LA, New York, Tokyo, these are centers that are so competitive and you're in the heat of it and people come there and make a career there. So I think it's the fact that I grew up there and I, I was in the media industry there, which was highly competitive. So 
whenever you go anywhere else, you're already ready for battle. I think that's how it shapes you. You got your bachelor's at the University of Bristol, and you were secretary for the University Rugby Club. What was that like? It was very riotous. Um, <laughs> and the rugby is is renowned for its drinking, culture, play hard. And I would organize the away trips. And uh, yeah, it w- I think riotous is all I need to say because I need to protect <laughs> the innocent. <laughs> I've been part of the Big Brother program here in the U.S. And you're a mentor, mentor for the young enterprise, entrepreneurs of the small firms, enterprise development. How has that impacted you and what really made you passionate about doing that? Well, first, I'm an entrepreneur through and through. When you'll go through, you'll see I've started many businesses, some very successful, some totally unsuccessful. And I got to a point where they approached me, actually, and were looking for mentors. That A government-funded agency was putting money out and wanted people to look after the money. I thought it'd be really interesting to see young entrepreneurs and to give advice and mentorship where I could. In fact, I learned one big lesson, which is the government is rubbish at allocating money. (laughs) I don't think we're going to have many disagreements on that one. (laughs) No. (laughs) So you're also the the founder and host of the Love Travel Awards and, and you host the Travel Tastemaker podcast. Can you tell us what made you start those things and a little bit more about those two things? Well, the company I'm an executive chairman of, Worldwide Events, does more travel events for the trade in the world than anyone else. We're not so huge in America. I think we've got four events there. One of our events is called Amour, which is for the romance travel industry, focusing on honeymoon and destination weddings. There were no awards for wedding hotels and wedding planners when we started the show in 2016. Everyone loves to dress up in the wedding industry. It's a really strange, you know, uh, uh, not like any other trade show you, uh, where, you know, often you just wear T-shirts and jeans here. Everyone's in tuxes for business meetings. So we thought we were in Venice for the first one. We had this beautiful ballroom. And I said, let's do some awards. And Love Travel seemed like such a, an obvious name. And we did the awards and they've taken off. And now we do them every year and more. Awesome. That's great. That's great. And how'd you get started with the podcast that you're doing, the, the Travel Taste? Okay, this was a project for lockdown, which I think a lot of us got into. I was stuck in Bali, where, where my home is now, but where I live most of the time. Not a bad place to be stuck, let me tell you, at the time. I have, through my years in the travel industry, got great connections. And I wanted to explore some of the issues in travel. And I was lucky enough to get some very interesting people to come on the podcast and talk about what's happening in travel, what's been happening and what will happen. Awesome. So now we'll get into more of your career. So you are the CEO of Great Hotels of the World. Now there's 60 upscale independent hotels or resorts that are that are really focused on the leisure travel. What makes a good leisure hotel or resort? Yes, I was CEO of Great Hotels of the World. In fact, I founded it in 2001. Before I sold it, we had 300 members. So whoever I've sold it to is obviously not doing a great job. I've not been following them for the last few years, I have to say. What makes a great leisure hotel depends on your budget. Because we do Tea Fest and Private Luxury, which is events for the very top luxury hotels. And because I own a luxury travel design company called White Label Travel, I get to go to a lot of the best hotels in the world. And it's service, it's polish, 
and its location. They're the three things. And by polish, I mean the way the room and the place is put together. A US idea of a luxury hotel and a European idea of a luxury hotel are quite different, slightly different. But for me, most of all, it's location. Amman, for example, have done it beautifully. Certainly their first 20 or so resorts where they chose the location first, then built the hotel. And they set a standard in luxury hotel. For me, it was pre-Aman and post-Aman because after Adrian set up a man, really the whole industry changed. So there's a view of what I would see to be a luxury hotel. I spent my life staying in them. I'm in, I'm in a great one now. So I've got a lot of experience on that. I'm very comfortable in that area if you want to stick there. Sure, sure. You said there's a few differences between US and Europe. What are those differences that you see? In the consumer side, the consumers in the US are more taken by brands. So you will be more comfortable in a Four Seasons, a Ritz, a St. Regis, whereas the European consumer is a little bit more interested in individuality. Neither are better or worse. In fact, if you want a business model, a brand is better because you can... I mean, I was in a hotel in Abu Dhabi about four days ago, and I was doing a site visit for one of our potential events. I'd been in a hotel in Istanbul about six months before, and it was exactly the same decor, carpets, rooms. And I said, I don't need to see the rest of it. I've seen it. I won't mention the brand. It's a very nice hotel, but corporate and big. So Europeans will go for smaller, more boutique. But interestingly, when the Americans come here, I'm in Amalfi now, a big American crowd here, and they embrace the unique side. But you know, in Europe, 70% of hotels are independent. In the States, 70% of hotels are, are flagged. And I think there is the difference. Yeah, I think it's the exposure. A lot of people in the States don't get the exposure to that uniqueness, or they, when they travel abroad, they get nervous that they don't want to screw it up and they want to stay at a Marriott or something, whereas I'm completely the opposite. I want to, I want to risk it. Listen, and by the way, you're not risking it. I don't want to knock Marriott because it's our biggest customer. So they are fantastic hotels, fantastic brands, and brilliantly run. However, you'll have more of a venture sometimes staying in the 50-room hotel on the top of the cliff. And I think you should mix them both up. And you were at Great Hotels of the World for, for over almost 20 years. Listen, I founded it. I mean, should I tell you the story of how I founded it and how I got into it? Yeah, go ahead. So I had been a magazine publisher and I set up a publishing company and I set up my own and we did really well in doing cycling magazines and business to business magazines. And I saw a gap for men's health magazine in the UK. It didn't exist. This was in about 1997. So I approached them for a license and they said, yes, I could have it. I got the editorial to team together and I was going to launch men's health. And the day before we were meant to announce it, I got a letter from Rodell, who were the publisher, saying they're doing it themselves. So I said, I'm going to take them on. The biggest mistake I ever made. And there I learned something. I ran out of cash within six months. I lost everything I had trying to take on a huge company. And I thought, right, I'm now going to do something I love. So I decided to, I wanted to find a golf hotel somewhere to go and get better. I couldn't find a directory. I went to American Express, who I had a relationship with through my old days and said, I'll do you a directory of golf hotels called Great Golf Hotels of the World, 1997. And they said, okay. And I went around the world for a year, staying at hotels for free, selling them entries into the directory. And we did great golf hotels of the world. It went so well. We did great spa hotels of the world. Then we did most romantic hotels of the world. Then we did great meeting hotels of the world. And it became 
that we had so many hotels. They said, we want more, we want more. This was before the internet. And so we set up great hotels in the world. I looked at leading, I looked at small luxury. And so we became a brand. And that brand became the second biggest soft brand in the world in about 2008. We had over, over well over 300 hotels. We were bigger in Europe than leading and small luxury. But I could see with Booking.com and the internet coming that the concept of a soft brand intermediary was going away. And I tried to launch a big CRS booking platform, which you know was one of my not smart ideas to launch a GDS platform when the internet was coming. That was a bad idea. And so I had to sell both of those. But that's how I started it, by publishing directories to find golf hotels. Very cool. That's a great backstory. Hello, my name is Steve Karen, Director of Sales at Stay Flexi and the co-host of The Modern Hotelier. Stay Flexi is a modern all-in-one system for hotels and vacation rentals. It's a built-in channel manager, PMS, booking engine, POS, revenue manager, and a magic link where your guests will receive a text message or email that has a link that's live throughout the whole state. So your guests will be able to check in, add any products or experiences onto their stay while they're in-house, and then use that link to also check out. State Flexi is built to be flexible to accommodate the modern guests while also being easy to use so any hotelier can pick it up quickly. Shoot me an email at steve.karen at stayflexi.com or message me on LinkedIn to learn more or set up a demo. Thanks so much and enjoy this episode of The Modern Hotelier. And so you were also CEO of a big agency. It was a multimedia agency with social media, VR. When did you get that passion for the the VR and kind of social media side of of what you do? So the reason I knew American Express in the story before is we did a thing called customer publishing, which was not so big in the States, but brands would do magazines. There was no website. So how do you describe complex projects? So Microsoft would send a magazine once a month to their customers. And Big Agency was one of the major players in that in London at the time, which meant it was in Europe. The clients were looking for more and more services. At that time, the internet started to take off. This is in maybe early 2000s, and then social took off. And so we naturally got into providing those services. So I wouldn't say I had a passion for it. I'd say that we were in a position where our clients grew the need. And being an entrepreneur and service-focused, we developed the services to, to serve them. And you were also chairman of White Label Travel, creative media, finance, and the executive chairman of Worldwide Events. What did you learn as your time as chairman and not CEO? Oh, big difference. So chairman doesn't do any work, but makes lots of decisions. A CEO does far too much work and doesn't make enough decisions. Now, obviously, that's generic. And, you know, I spent 20 years being a CEO of companies from 10 people to several hundred people. So you get to understand the the function of the job. Being chairman, you have a longer-term view. You're more involved in where we're going to be in five years than where we are in five months. And to be honest, I'm really terrible at managing people. So having a CEO between me and the staff tends to be good. And now you're back as CEO of Rendezverse. Rendezverse is a mixed reality platform for hotels, events, and venues. Maybe before we get started in this, you can tell us about Rendezverse, but maybe we should define the metaverse and kind of what that is before we get started. Would that help? It's a collection of VR spaces where you can move between them that should be interoperable, but aren't at the moment. It's the fourth dimension of presence. It's the visual side of Web 3.0 in 
10 years time, everybody will have a headset of some sort. It won't be like the goggles you've got now. It'll be more like the iPhone you have, it all have now. And you will not experience anything through a flat screen. You will go into it. So all marketing for any product or services will have presence involved. When I first chose a holiday with my parents, I looked through a directory, saw a hotel with three photographs and chose it. When I choose one with my grandchildren, I'll walk into the hotel with them in VR, look in the bedroom, choose the room they want and book it. And that is where VR will be and where it's come from. And it's all content, guys. It's all content, just different versions of it. So in the future, instead of going to a to a store to go shopping or, or try on clothes even, or, or do you think we're going to be like just going to the, you know, we're going to be going to that store to try on our clothes on Listen, our app? 100%. If I just said to you that the biggest retailer in the world didn't have a shop 10 years ago, what would you have said to me? It's crazy. Yeah. And Amazon, well, it, has, it now has about five shops, but it's closing them. You know, so... Amazon, I think, will be the the drivers of Metaverse. Try and close on. Can you imagine if your avatar actually is your own body body's size and you try it on? The amount of money that brands will save on returns will be amazing. Rather than looking at three pictures, you can pick it up, have a look. Of course, it's going to change retail. It's going to totally change retail. When will it? Not tomorrow. That's for sure. It will change hospitality before it changes retail. Sure. So now we kind of have an idea of what Metaverse is, Web3, things like that. Now, how does Rendezvous fit into that? How are you guys getting into the hospitality space? Well, so our major shows are called M&I, which if you're in the travel industry, you know stands for Meeting and Incentive. We are the number one globally M&I events. We've got about 12 globally. They're all several hundred people from El Paso next year to Bangkok and all over the world. And so we know that industry really very well, both the buyers and the suppliers. Again, during lockdown, we tried to do digital events and a lot of research came back. Oh, they're okay, but I lack the presence idea. And then it suddenly hit me that, you know what? The metaverse would enable us to meet digitally, but also to see the spaces. And it all tumbled into place. I found out there are 10 million site inspections, international site inspections a year that goes on for the meeting and incentive industry. And talking to the people who do them, at least half of them are not needed. So jump forward. Once hotels, especially the major meeting hotels, there's maybe a thousand globally all started off, have all digital twins of all their spaces. Once we've given all the buyers the ability to enter those digital twins easily, and we've done that with a mobile app, the need for a site inspection. We're talking to Intercontinental Paris today, who's one of our partners. They've got six people want to come over from Taiwan. We've talked to the Taiwanese. They've sorted themselves out headsets. They're doing a site inspection next week in Paris without having to come over. And Intercontinental are going, oh my God, this is going to change our lives. Marriott the same. Nicolette, who's head of Metaverse for Marriott, was quoted last week saying her time in Rendezvous was the most fun she had in the metaverse this summer. So what I'm saying is that pre-experiencing spaces in hospitality, which started with photographs, then went to video, to do it in VR is just such a natural extension. It will begin in B2B because that's where all technologies start, mobile, email, websites, laptops, all were B2B adoption 
because there's a business UK before B2C, but B2C will follow. And in the not too distant future, Rodniverse will be distributing content to booking.com of leisure hotels where consumers will be able to go in there and book on the platform. You use the term digital twin. What is a digital twin? Just because I'm sure we'll say it a few more times while, while we're talking here. The terminology of the metaverse has not been nailed down yet. Some people call it a CGI twin. Matterport, which are the biggest 3D photography company in the world, all the 3D tours you do, they're a partner of Rendezverse. They call their photographs digital twins. For us, a digital twin is one beyond photorealism, and it's something that's modeled as a computer-generated image in 3D where we can then put avatars inside them and we can manipulate them. So, for example, a hotel with a big ballroom can show a client all the layouts with just touching a button. If a meeting planner wanted to show Nike around this space, they could actually lay it out how they wanted it to be without actually laying it out. And they could do it in Barcelona, San Francisco and Sao Paulo in five minutes with the Nike man in Portland staying in Portland and the meeting planner staying in New York. So can you imagine the efficiency it's going to bring to the meeting and incentive industry and then move it on to leisure choices, especially when you're looking at residences, when you're looking at pre-openings, or when you're looking at high-level suites, several thousand dollars and above? You know, you want to look and see what this is like and what I'm spending it on. So for us, a digital twin is the computer-generated 3D image that you experience in virtual reality. Got it. So it doesn't need to look like you. It can, can it be anything or does it? No, a digital twin is the space. That's the whole point is it is the space you're in. So I could go and make a digital twin of your house, Steve. You'd have to tidy up first. Your wife told me you're a real mess. And <laughs> she so wasn't supposed to tell I've, you that. I've, I've given you a day's notice. She said to remind you that you clean up after yourself. <laughs> And if you want to sell that house, rather than have real estate agents coming through, you could put it on Rendezvous and people would go and view it that way. And they'd see it and you'd save half the people bothering to come. They'd know immediately it was right or wrong for them. So a digital twin is almost an exact replica. And the only thing that stops it being exact at the moment are the headsets. The technology is constrained by the processing power of the headsets at this point, but that's changing rapidly. How has Web3 already had a positive impact on not only meetings, but also events and and even just business trips? It hasn't. Not one job so far. It's all in the future. So, I mean, Web3 is about ownership and presence. There are no hotel chains using a blockchain. I'm putting uh, loyalties or NFT on blockchain yet. Although I'm not going to tell you who because I'm in touch with the hotels, let them tell themselves it's coming and it's coming big time. And also the metaverse is not really being used by hotels at the moment. There are a few hotels in Sandbox and in Decentraland, very experimental, good luck to them. And well done for giving it a try. But that's business to consumer and it's a 14-year-old. So, you know, a 14-year-old doesn't buy many hotel rooms yet. And it's all in flat screen and in a resolution that's PlayStation 2. So, you know, it's very early days. Rodniverse is the resolution of PlayStation 5, for example. So my view is Web3 is yet to change travel, but it will transform travel sales and marketing 
And I mean, the announcement today, or not today, two days ago, about Meta and Microsoft partnership, where Meta and Teams and all the Microsoft Metaverse suite and the Meta Metaverse suite are going to come together. So basically on your desktop, you'll have your avatar and using Teams, you'll be able to go into someone else's space in the same way you can do a video. That's going to greatly accelerate. And there's going to be two Web3 environments, iOS and Google's Android, because Microsoft and um, Meta are using Android. And so we're going to have the mobile war all over again. But everything you do on the web is going to go into VR and blockchain will take over a lot of the stuff that normal databases do now. But it's not started yet. So you're working with a lot of the large brands that the U.S. audience would recognize, Marriott Hilton. Is there a brand that we wouldn't recognize that you're excited about working with that is kind of cutting edge or more of a thought leader in the space? Gosh, there are, but we're under NDA because they're so cutting edge and such thought leaders. But the top luxury hotel brand in the world is launching a new brand. They're launching a brand new hotel in a major city, and they're doing digital twins of that hotel for pre-opening, and we're doing that for them. That's as much as I can say. But we are working with every major hotel brand on some form of digital and metaverse project, or the top five we're working with, and some very interesting ones outside the top five. But those ones, I, I, I can't say I'm under NDA. I'm sorry. I wish I can. And as soon as I can, I will. I right, agree. You're also uh, partnered with M&I. Tell us what that partnership is about and, and what you guys are doing together. So yeah, M&I is an events company that brings the meeting hotels and, meet, and meeting buyers together. It's been going 15 years. It has a database of about 30,000 buyers globally, about 20,000 hotels. It would have immediate brand recognition, certainly outside the States globally and in East Coast states for sure. And so that community wants to meet each other and find out about each other's products and services. They all have a green agenda. They want to drive down travel. I've sat on, I'm sure you've done this too, David, you sat on these panels where you go, how do we make travel more green? You know, and let's use less plastics and those metal straws are making a difference. And the white elephant in the room is no one is saying the way to make travel more green is to stop bloody traveling. But no one wants to say that in the travel industry. So, of course, we don't want to stop traveling. But what I thought was that with this community who wanted to do this, we, we do a, a green version of M&I. How do you solve it? The first thing we do is start by making site visits greener. So we're working with M&I for the hotels that use their brand and for the buyers that use their brand to stop them having to fly to see each other and allow them to do it through digital twins. And it's a project we're working on together that's going great at the moment. And we're actually doing something properly about making this travel industry green, which is meaning you don't have to travel to see places. And do you have an idea of how big this space is? I feel like the travel and event space, you know, trillion dollar industry. It's a trillion dollar industry. So we're starting with travel because that's where I'm from. But of course, there's use cases in real estate. There's use cases in live events. Any event venue will want to have a digital twin. Any real estate that's being sold off plan will have digital twin. Remote sites where, you know, you're going to Kazakhstan to see an oil outrig. A digital twin of that can save that. And any academia 
going to see Berkeley from New York. Why don't you just go to a visual version of it? So digital twins and remote site inspections, making reality virtual, which is what we call Rondiverse, has many applications. And the idea that you would get on a plane to go and see a small flat in San Francisco before buying it in 10 years' time will seem ridiculous because you'll be able to walk in there and experience it. So how big's the market? We haven't got the faintest idea. I'm just in the moment going through a VC deck, and I've had six people come up with six completely different numbers. The answer is, I suspect, big enough for me to retire if we're successful. And that's all that matters for me at this moment, frankly. I just came from a, a conference in Los Angeles, and it's it was funny because it, what you're doing is just a natural, in my opinion, evolution. Because And COVID, I think, has helped. Um, because everyone's so used to doing things remotely now. And even, you know, we're all in three different places right now doing this podcast, which, you know, I even told somebody yesterday, I said, it almost feels weird when somebody just wants to talk to you and they don't want to do a video <laughs> conference. You're like, what? Yeah. We're going to just, we're just going to talk on the phone. I'm not going to see you. <laughs> it was a catalyst for this. It, it made meeting digitally normal. And it meant that the jump to actually going into VR is not such a big jump. And that's what I realized when we did all these digital events, which is we normalized it, but the experience wasn't great. So guys, in a couple of years' time, or even in a couple of weeks' time, let's do this in a, in a rendezvous. Let's go and meet in the Marriott Madrid or Hilton in Munich, and we can all do this in the metaverse. We can record it, and it can come out in 3D. Now, you know what? It sounds and you're smiling now, Steve, but it could happen, I assure you, once you've cleaned up your house, I'll let you do it. But until then, I'm not going to. Deal. Twenty is right around the corner. <laughs> yeah. So what's going to come first? It's <laughs> yeah. a good question. So, so what's what's next for Rondiverse? What's what's next for the company? You mentioned VC. We had our pre-production prototypes, which is we've worked on with all the major chains. We've done testing with buyers and the chains. We found out what was right and what's wrong. We are launching a production model now. That comes out December the 1st. It's in beta testing now. The big news, and you're the first people to hear this, is we've had a real breakthrough in innovation that's going to speed this up. We've managed to take Matterport photography, and we've managed to put avatars inside of it. So anybody who has a 3D photograph of their space, on December the 1st, they can upload it to Rendezvous, and they can meet someone in there with their avatar and show them around them with present, which will change the way the meeting industry works. And so you could do that inexpensively. You could do that quickly and you could do it on the platform and it's all done in an hour. And we launched that December 1st. So that's the big news. Then that's the ramp on to get thousands of hotels on the Rondiverse because there's 70,000 hospitality spaces already on Matterport. All of those can go into Rondiverse, and then you can start building digital twins. So that's the big news today, guys, that I'm letting you have first. All right, breaking news on the modern hotelier right here. <laughs> so that's that's great. So I, I love this. I loved learning about Rondiverse. Now we'll learn a little bit more about you know industry thoughts in the hotel hospitality space. We got a couple about the metaverse, and then we're gonna we're gonna kind of go just to non technology. Well, well, not non technology, just non metaverse trends. But where do you see the metaverse being? I guess in the hospitality space in five to ten years. Oh, right. So that's the sweet spot. 
Between five and 10 years, it will transform. I don't believe that hotels will have websites in 10 years' time. I believe they'll have metaverses. So let's take the Marriott metaverse. Rather than go to Marriott.com, you're going to the Marriott metaverse. You're going to the Marriott metaverse reception. You'll be met by an AI person that you'll say, what do you want? You'll give them the brief. They'll say, right, here's three hotels, one in Mexico, one in Costa Rica, and one in Florida. I'm going to take you to all three of them. Let me show you around. What do you think? I didn't like that. Okay, let's go and look at one in Italy instead. The idea of a website will be so old-fashioned in 10 years' time because it was just flat, and it'll, it'll be academic institutions publishing papers on websites, a bit like a PDF is now. And I think that also all the loyalty systems will be revolutionized by the blockchain, the Web3 side, because they can incentivize you not only to stay at the hotels, they can incentivize you to do site visits. Come and see my hotel, I'll give you X points. All these transactions could happen. So in a B2B environment, you can incentivize buyers to come and see your hotel by giving them tokens, which will probably be related to hotels' own loyalty plans. So that's where the metaverse will be. It will be the primary marketing tool. But also, when you're setting up rooms in a hotel, you'll create a digital twin. You'll put different setups in it before you actually build the room. You'll test it with consumers before you build the room. So all these people who do room setups and types and they'll build a suite and people are going and see, you won't need to. So it will be transformational in hospitality, transformational. The one thing you won't be able to do is go on holiday in the metaverse, not for the next 10 years. Why is that? Well, because you won't get a suntan, you won't get a pina colada, uh, you know, you won't get drunk with your mates in a bar and you won't be able to smell the flowers. But 20 years time, you'll be able to get in a VR suit, it will go into your head and you'll have the whole experience without moving. Oh my goodness. But that's a a long way away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. We ask all our guests, or most of them, what is the effect of the metaverse on hospitality? We get a wide range of answers on that. You know, some people just have said, you know, you don't get that. You don't, you're not able to build relationships as easy. You know, you're not actually in person with that person. You know, what do you say to that? Is it, are you able to build these relationships with people inside the metaverse? I suspect. I have had more experience in hospitality metaverses than anyone you spoke about because I've done nothing else for the last 18 months. And I've worked with every major hotel brand, their sales directors, and with buyers for the last 18 months. So can you build relationships in the metaverse? I've seen this happen. And we've taken major players, travel agents, buyers, and sales directors, and head of marketing of major chains. We've all met in these places. And everyone who's then come back onto the computer and to talk like this has said, you know what? That was an experience. And so, you know, you don't get to smell people. You don't get the ferrozone, but you see people move. You see people talk. uh, um, You move around together. And as AI comes along and starts to really replicate facial movement, which is happening, eventually I think it will become indistinguishable. Not immediately, but for sure you get an experience in VR in a sales environment. I'm I'm not sure it's a social experience, but in terms of building relationships, much more so than you can on the telephone or over Zoom. 
And and this is just my last question about about the metaverse, about a recent report that came out about Decentraland. It's valued at a billion dollars, and it has only 8,000 users on a daily basis. I know this is more consumer. What do you think is the, I guess, the delay of people getting involved in the metaverse? Is it the headsets? Because, you know, Oculus has has the main one. I know more are coming out, but but what's the delay of people getting involved in the metaverse? Two things. Decentraland's not valued at a, a billion. Its tokens are valued at a billion. Oh, that's okay. That's very okay. different. And that's a crypto play, and uh, that's about hype and expectation. As a business, Decentraland's not valued anything like that. Now, what's stopping people getting into the metaverse? Well, they are in the metaverse at the moment in gaming in big numbers. So let's remember that in, it's just in hospitality they're not. Gaming metaverse has grown very quickly has got great adoption between the 14 and 24-year-old age group. That's the problem with Decentraland for a hospitality brand. They don't buy hotel rooms. So adoption of Metaverse is two things. Firstly, there's no content. So you can't adopt anything when there's nothing to see. And secondly, the headsets are a limiting factor. They're a bit clunky. They're uncomfortable to wear. I wouldn't want to wear them in this moment for more than two or three hours, although the new kits coming through, I think are going to get better. If you got over that, once content comes and the headsets improve, nothing will stop you getting into the metaverse because it's a better experience than a flat website. What do you think the biggest challenge hospitality has besides labor shortage? Well, it's a pretty big challenge if you've got no one to serve your, your dinner and check you into the hotel. Although the metaverse can help you with that, by the way, because you need less salespeople. You know what? I think hospitality is in a great place. Even in this recession, even with wars going on around the world, occupancies at the highest level they've ever been, ADRs at the highest level they've ever been. I'm in south of Italy now. In the last week of the season, every hotel is jam-brack packed, many with Americans. I think there's such a pent-up demand to travel and people realize how beautiful it was. I think the challenge is going to be finding great spaces to build hotels in lovely environments to, to meet demand. That's actually the biggest challenge. In Paris, you can't build another hotel. In Italy, you know, go to Florence and try and build a hotel in the 17th century building. You know, talk about green challenges. It's almost impossible. So if you're building a hotel on the outskirts of Phoenix, that's not so tough, but that's a business hotel. So I think the challenge hospitality has is finding great new places, building those hotels there to allow people to go places. And there's a brand called Habitas, which I think is an American brand who, and you may know it, great story. They used to build a camp at Burning Man every year. They wanted to go to Tulum. The hotel was too expensive. They took all their tents down from Burning Man, put it in a hotel called Habitas. They never took the tents down. The hotel became the coolest hotel in Tulum. Now Habitus, those guys, they're building hotels in remote places using the skills they learned at Burning Man. They're building them in a year rather than in three years. They're building them very sustainably. And that sort of model where you can take experiences into the wild, into the wilderness, is the sort of thing that might solve that challenge. And what do you think is the best way hotels can utilize technology to create a better guest experience and, and potentially bring in more revenue? Well, I think to create a better guest experience, I'd use less technology for hotels. I think 
there's certain brands where they they run apps. They ask me to check in. You know, there's nothing better than walking into a, a hotel reception, getting a broad smile, giving a cold towel. Now, obviously, not all hotels are full service, and hotels are looking to drive down costs. And you know, I'm in the luxury hotel sector. I don't really know about budget hotels, so I can't comment. In the luxury hotel sector, use less technology, use more human beings. That's what I would say. We've covered a lot. We're getting close to the end. Is there a trend or something you think is upcoming uh, besides Web3 or the metaverse that that's here to stay or, or it's going to be, you know, we're going to be talking about it soon? In luxury hospitality, I mean, it's about remoteness. Ten years ago, it was going to the Maldives, sitting down and relaxing. Now it's about getting on a bloody rocket and going to the moon. And that's tourism. And if we take those two examples, that's what's happening, is people have got bored with lying on a beach. Now, of course, lying on a beach is great. But, you know, Americans are behind the curve on this because, as you said, they're less adventurous. But they're really getting it now. And they drove travel after the pandemic because they wanted to get away. So moving to more remote, harder journeys not all being easy, is where luxury travel's going. Turning up to Cancun Airport and landing on a beach 40 minutes later, uh, that's still got its place, but it's not where luxury travel's going. Well, and I think we have to, at least here in the States, I think we're trying to change our work viewpoint in the wrong way. So I was with a group of people, and they were talking about how their company's moving to every other Friday off, Wednesday work from home, you know, unlimited personal time, but it's all really bullshit because at the end of the day, you're not going to, you know, that one extra day, what does it difference does it make versus the European mentality where you get actual true holiday where you can take a week or two weeks and go do something versus... It, well, listen, firstly, there's great research which showed that being given unlimited holiday, people took less holiday than they did before because people find it stressful and generally people are conscientious. Overall, people didn't know where their minds were. and Yes, the States compared to Europe, you know, at my company, we give five, six weeks holiday. I don't know what you get in the States. We encourage people to travel. We encourage people to get out there. We make people take it. It makes them better human beings. It makes them less stress. It makes them more productive. You know, US has got a different culture. It means you're spent more per day. You're trying to pack more in. I don't know what it does to U.S. as a society, though. Uh, that's not for me to judge. I mean, America's a fantastically productive and successful country. But, my God, I'd give you guys more holiday if I could. Yeah, and we, we would take it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're at the end, but I just want to you know make a comment. I think what was great, and this is just not because you're right here, but I hear more negative stuff like, oh, it's going to replace this or it's never going to do that. So I really like the positive and the productive outlook on, on the metaverse and how it's like you're, you're showing a problem that you're solving that makes sense, but it's not taking away. It's a business improvement tool. It will improve processes within travel immensely. Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciate it. Is there, is there a question you think we should have asked you that we didn't? No, I think you, you guys are quite surprisingly looking at you did a great job. You know, who would have thought that at the <laughs> yeah, start? Yeah, we agree all the time. We always ask ourselves that. I mean, you sneaked up on me there, guys. I thought, no, yeah. yeah. All right, so this is the time where you get the plug away. So tell us, you know, where we can find more information on, on anything that you're doing right now. 
I'm not going to plug anything. I want to come here to educate, to advocate the metaverse. Our company is called Rondiverse. You can look it up, but we've got a great product. We don't need to plug it. We'll let it speak for itself. Great. And we definitely will take you up on, on meeting in the metaverse and doing a, a podcast. Yeah. Let me know and I'll set it up. Maybe in a year's time when we have gone a bit further and when things have moved on, we could have round two of this. I'd love that. That'd be awesome. That does it for another episode of The Modern Hotelier presented by Stay Flexi. We appreciate your time. My pleasure. My pleasure, guys. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media and presented by Stay Flexi. Stay Flexi is your modern operating system for independent hotels. If you're interested in learning more about Stay Flexi, you can go to stayflexi.com. Or if you'd rather talk to me instead, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or email me at steve.karen at stayflexi.com. Thanks and have a great day.